Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening and welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams from the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. And you can look right outside the window. I'm just looking down. Uh, the Texas Medical Center's drive right on straight on down. This is one of the few times on a Sunday night about this time that you see zero cars. Um, come about 8 o'clock in the morning, there'll be hundreds of cars lined up trying to get into the medical center. But it's just great having you with us on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I hope your belly is ready to receive some food, but most importantly, I hope your mind and your spirit is ready to give some thanks and gratitude for what you've had this year, for what you've experienced, good and bad, for what you learned from it. And I just want to let you know while we have this these few seconds, I appreciate each and every one of you that listen each week. I'm already getting texts. And this just isn't right. So, hey, hang on. Let's get the show started. Already getting test, that text wanting me to ask some questions to the doctor that's going to be on tonight. So uh, this is going to be good. There's there's people listening already around the world. So looking forward to this program. And uh, you can join us each and every week at 8 o'clock Central Time Live right here in Houston. And um, i tell you what. There's two or three different ways to get uh, involved tonight. Uh, one, you can just sit back and enjoy. Uh, I do think tonight's one of those nights, and I say this just about every week, but this is true tonight. I uh, believe, believe you me, that you want to have a blank piece of paper and an ink pen because you're going to get wisdom about a subject that probably you know very little about. I've read cover to cover, and I learned so much stuff, and I have so many questions. I'm excited about our guest. But it's probably something that we use and are involved in every single day of our life thousands of times. And we have no idea how important it is, but we're going to talk about it this evening. You can get involved by watching uh, on Facebook. You can get on there and watch it. Uh, and you can also comment through there. I, think, I believe my son is running this from Japan tonight on the other side of the world with the United States Army. He is has it up and running tonight, like uh, just like clockwork. And I appreciate Curtis doing that for me, my youngest son. Uh, you can get involved there, put a comment on it. You can text me like some are already doing that right now, 832-396-6525, and that rings right here. Or you can call the BBS radio station and the wonderful personnel there and the staff, 888 6276 Zero zero eight, 
and they will patch you right through and just say, hey, we have a question and love to have you come on and comment. And this is going to be one that I believe you have a lot of questions uh, and just want to take this information in. Let's just all be a dry sponge tonight and let's soak up all this wisdom that our guest tonight has years and years of research on. So it's going to be awesome. I always like to start the program off each week was either something that I was thinking about this week or something that I've been involved with, something that affected me. And I tell you what, maybe as we go into the holidays, I don't want to really date this uh, program to to talk about specifically Thanksgiving or whatever, but I think there's some times and some uh, areas in our lives that I think it's just good wisdom, good protection, good mindfulness, good self-care to put boundaries around us. And I believe I have a book here, my second book somewhere later in here on the table uh, that I wrote. And I have a whole uh, chapter and I call it guardrails just because I didn't want to use the same line that everybody else uses about boundaries. But we need to put boundaries around ourselves that's going to protect us, guard us, from things that we don't want or shouldn't allow or won't tolerate to come into our arena, our area. And the first thing, I just there's a, a few steps here that, that I learned this week or wrote about this week, and I just wanted to kind of share with you real briefly. First, I think it's important that when we start setting boundaries for ourselves, that we need to listen to ourselves. You know, what's really important to you? What's really going to matter to you? And I know a lot of people waste a lot of time on this, playing games, watching videos, posting on Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn is a new thing, but it's turning into a Facebook arena, basically. I used to think it was a wonderful networking tool, but now it seems like Everybody's just promoting themselves, and they're not wanting to network. They just want to say, hey, buy something that I'm trying to sell. I really don't get involved in any of that. But then, you know, the the games you play and TikTok and the, the amount of time that we put into this, is that really going to matter three, four, five years from now? Is it really going to make a big difference in your life if somebody really liked you or didn't like you or follow you or didn't follow you. So really determine upfront when you're setting boundaries, what's important to you? What really matters to you? What's a value and how do you place those values in your life and in your heart and for your goals? Second thing there is what are your needs? What are some of the things that you need to take care of for you? Are you feeling right now? Resentment, anger, discomfort. And if you are, those are signs and signals and alarms that you may have some poor boundaries that need to be realigned. You need to have that emotional surveyor to come in and literally survey where you want those property lines to be and say, hey, wait, you can come up to that point, but you're not going to get on my front porch emotionally. You have that control. So determine up front to listen to yourself. I'm stepping on my own toes and I'm preaching to myself tonight. Number two is learn how to say no. 
and that is so hard. Um, there's so many times that people, places, organizations will call and ask, and very rarely do I ever say no to anything. And I think it's time in my life as I'm starting to get, oh, there is some gray hair. It used to be just pitch black, but it's not quite that now. But now as it's starting to get grayer and my number, and you know, I'm on the other side of my last half of life. Uh, I've been up to the peak and I'm, I'm heading downhill and it's going fast. I promise you that. But I need to learn how to uh, put my priorities in alignment and learn how to say no. And I need to really work on that. I really need to make that a priority. Maybe you need to do, do to yourself too. Give yourself permission to say no. And you don't have to debate. You don't have to over explain or you don't have to defend yourself on when you say no. Can you do this great? No. I'm sorry. I can't. Will you do this? No, I can't. And be willing and able to to say that word. It's not a four-letter word. It's only a two-letter word that we treat like sometimes in our life, like it's the worst four-letter word in the world. If they're going to only like you and support you when you say yes, then maybe they're out for something that they're not as understanding or uh, sensitive for your priorities and the only one who gets something for themselves. Three, allow room for a little bit of flexibility. Life is a balancing act. Too rigid, now one, this is worth writing down here. Too rigid, you risk isolation. I've been there, done that. I had so many boundaries around me and the walls were so tall that I pushed everybody away and would not let them even get close to me because I was guarding and protecting what I could guard and protect in my heart. And because of that, I was isolated for years. Yeah, you could be in a room full of people and still be alone because of that isolation because you never let anybody in. And then if you're too soft, you risk exploitation. People taking advantage of you, people hurting you, people using you for only one thing. And when in doubt, when you're making these boundaries, go back up to step one. Listen to yourself. Perfection is not the goal because it's never going to happen. When we get into a holiday, Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you're preparing the meal and you got the stuffing uh, warming and you got the mashed potatoes and the gravy's boiling and the turkey's in and you're wanting absolute perfection. Go ahead and get accustomed that something is going to be dry. Something is going to be overcooked. Something's going to burn. It will not be perfection. And when you set your, your life up for perfection all the time, you're setting yourself up for a disappointment. Life is not perfect. I am an example of that. And I have the scars <laughs> to show you that it's not. And teach people, I think this is an old Dr. Phil line, teach people, train people how to treat you. Don't let 
them treat you any way they want. Know how you want to be treated and teach people how you should be treated. And remember, the only people who get upset about you setting boundaries are the ones who are benefiting from you having none. And then finally, especially this week, be kind to yourself. Give yourself a little grace. Give yourself a little room. Allow yourself a little time to breathe and set boundaries for yourself. Let that be a lesson this week that maybe we could all use. And I promise to try it. I got a little here, right here on my little note. I promise to try this, and I hope you do too. So that's why I would have been writing about this week, thinking about, studying about. I just wanted to share that with you. I tell you what, I am thrilled to have with us Dr. Stephen Furlick. I knew I missed it up, but we'll let him pronounce his name. He is the author of a book that is absolutely phenomenal, nonverbal epiphany, steps to improve your nonverbal communication. This is something, to be honest with you, I've heard about. Every now and then we'll have some training on it somewhere where somebody will come in, but I've never heard it in this way. I've never seen it presented in such great graphics and pictures that this book has. And I'll tell you what, Doctor is a uh, best-selling author of the Breakthrough book. He also, the, the Sex Talk book, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. And I think this book even goes into that in some detail between men and women and how they communicate. But I'm going to drill down deep into that. And he has been an associate professor at Texas A&M University, yes, yes, since 2018, and served as an assistant professor there for five years prior to that. He travels around, he does conferences, and people are waiting in line to get his books. And you'll want to get his book before you log off the show tonight, and it is my privilege to welcome the doctor to our program tonight. Can you hear me, doctor? Yes. Thanks, Dr. Williams. Hey, good to see you tonight. How's everything going with you there? Thanks. It's going well, and um, I'm excited to talk about this topic. I'm glad uh, your intro feeds into it nicely as well. Well, you know, there's some, there's some things that when I've read in your book, it was like, how in the world are you going to be able to pull out epigenetics and nonverbal communication in the DNA? How in the, you know, and I want to get into that if we, if we actually turn the corner on the second half of the, the program, because where in the world and how many years have you been researching this topic? Because you are a communication expert, correct? Yes. So from early on, as I grew up, I always had an interest in nonverbal communication. I just always found it fascinating to understand people well beyond what they say. And then I took uh, classes in undergraduate with my uh, undergraduate degree and then as a graduate student as well. And then as I became a faculty member, I started to research it to create original ideas and original research involving nonverbal communication as well. So I've taught a class, nonverbal communication is the title, not the most original, but um, it uh, fits well and uh, people understand what it is for over the last 10 years. 
And early on, I always used someone else's textbook for the first few years when I taught that class. And one of the things that I had problems with was um, finding a book that really met my needs. So I either found uh, nonverbal communication books out there that were more popular culture, that were outside of academia, but it wasn't really research-based. So again, how much credibility can you put into some of the things that they were suggesting or some of the findings that they had? So you have that outside of academia, popular culture, but it's a little, a little more applied, which everybody likes. But then the other end of it, I would use textbooks and it, and it was research based. But then again, um, it wasn't nearly as applied as what I would have liked. So I try to balance the two with my book, Nonverbal Epiphany, where it's research-based, but then it's what uh, people can actually use in their everyday life as well. So I, uh, I support everything that I present throughout it with sources, academic sources, and then I try to relate it back to people's uh, personal lives and examples. And then there's an activity at the end of each chapter that people could do to actually improve their nonverbal communication, both understanding other people and their own uh, behaviors that they exhibit as well. And then I have uh, over 150 images that help people visualize it as well. So it's that combination together that really um, struck me and really drove me to write this book was having something that's research-based, but that people could use in their own personal life as well. So with your introduction, I think it fits nicely when you're talking about boundaries. That's what this book is about, is understanding what pe other, other people's true intentions are. So trying to identify what their true intentions are and, and friend from foe and who's there to help and who's there that is a possible uh, threat and just going by what they say is not enough. Um, oftentimes their behaviors um, indicate what their true intentions are much more truer than what they're actually saying. Wow. Okay. So do you find yourself playing uh, Sherlock Holmes or Barnaby Jones, or I'll go through all the other detectives if you want me to. Um, for instance, when you first met me just a few minutes ago, and I did a little introduction, do you find yourself sitting back going, okay, he looked away during that time with the camera. He did this with his head when he said that. Do you see yourself analyzing, not and not only hearing the words, but analyzing the way I'm saying them and presenting them to? And what did you notice in me that was good or bad. And I think that's one of the things to um, consider when you read this book, think about where you are before you read the book, what you know and what you understand about other people, and then see how you grow throughout each chapter and then at the end as well. And I guess to be honest, a little bit of it is difficult to actually turn off. So once you are aware of that information, then you're pretty much always running it through your head okay, this is what um, uh, the nonverbal behaviors that I'm observing and how does that fit into a more complete understanding? So if you don't mind, I could go into a few principles. I think everybody should uh, probably learn and understand as some general guidelines in pretty much all communication uh, situations. Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So here are some uh Principles that I think everyone should keep in mind uh, when it comes to nonverbal communication. And with some of these, um, people are a bit uh, misled. 
So one of the things that I think that most people are under the impression of is nonverbal behaviors indicate um, what your reactions are to other people's messages. It's more of a reactionary of uh, indicator of what your emotions are and um, how you respond to the interaction taking place. So that's true. That does serve as a reaction. But what you also want to keep in mind and remember is it also creates your emotion as well, just like some of the things that you were talking about. So there's two different uh, short little things I want to get into uh, just with this one principle. Now I'm going to go into a few other principles. Um, one is uh, her last name is Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. I cite her in my book. She really uh, has done numerous studies that have shown that your nonverbal uh, behaviors actually create the emotion itself. So um, one of the things that she gives an example is that they did a study. They had a number of participants and they did like mock interviews and they had people who were part of the interview judge each person who did the interview for them. And they didn't know the difference between the two groups. In the first group, what they had was before they entered the room, they had each person do a power pose. And the power pose was where they had their legs spread a little bit apart, their uh, hands on their hips, their elbows out. And then what she found was when they did that power pose, it um, increased their testosterone level. And what that did was it gave them more confidence and then also lowered their cortisol levels, which is their stress hormone. And then the other group, they did nothing. And again, the people who interviewed these people didn't see who did it or who didn't. But in the first group who did the power pose, they rated them as much more credible and as much more likely to get the job that they were interviewing for because their nonverbal behaviors created those types of um, emotions that they want to set forth the power itself. So more confidence uh, because of the testosterone increase and lower stress, they were more relaxed by having the cortisol levels decrease. Another study was done and they had two different groups of people. And this is something that you're talking about in terms of creating your own uh, world, your own destiny, your own, um, how do you want your own image? So they had two different groups, a lot of uh, participants and group one, they had them uh, uh, place a pin in their mouth. And in group two, they did nothing. And then they evaluate the emotions between the two groups. And between the two groups, who do you think uh, raised their emotions more positively? Group one. Why is that? Because they had a pin in their mouth. And what did that do? That created a smile. So just by creating an artificial um, facial expression, you take on the emotion of the expression that you're um, that you actually have. So if you're not feeling uh, that positive, if you have a bad day and you just start to smile, that creates more of a positive type of uh, emotion for yourself. If you have more of an open posture, um, having your arms open instead of crossed, not having your legs crossed, um, having a more upright posture, uh, that can create more of a positive type of emotion for you as well. So that's one of the, uh, one of the principles to keep in mind is that it's not only your nonverbals indicate your reactions to what's happening, but they also create your emotions as well. Another one that uh, people are often misled about is they overemphasize um, maybe a particular nonverbal behavior. So you don't want to place too much emphasis on one nonverbal behavior. I always teach our students that's more like a puzzle. 
and you're putting and you put individual pieces of the puzzle together to create the overall puzzle of what your overall assessment of someone, what your overall assessment of the situation. And just because someone looks down or someone scratches their nose or something like that, doesn't indicate or mean on itself that maybe they're being uh, dishonest or untruthful or whatever else. But you want to look at all the uh, different individual pieces of evidence together to come up with a much more informed assessment. Something else on that line is you want to look at the context. So what's the time? Uh, what's the place? Is it public or is it private? What's the subject you're talking about? And who are the people present? What's the relationship of those people? And all those dynamics influence how people are going to act based upon different circumstances, different uh, people, and in different uh, types of environments as well. Something that uh, this is probably um, a good um, principle to keep in mind, that most people um, mistakenly understand this, and that you want to understand uh, what people's nonverbal behaviors are much more so than what they're saying. That's usually an indicator of what truth is, to that person much more so than what they're saying. So believe what their nonverbal behaviors are. And also um, what is what happens first and what happens quickest. So those are some things to keep in mind as well is what's their first nonverbal uh, reaction. That's usually what's truer. And their nonverbal behaviors overall, generally speaking, are usually truer than what they're saying. And um, it's uh, usually mo more often correct than what they're actually saying verbally. And then lastly, uh, just a principle, understand what the other person's nonverbal behaviors normally are, and then see if it alters or changes based upon a given circumstance, maybe something that you want to see, are they being honest or not? So these are just some general principles. And then as we go throughout the show, we get into more specifics and specific behaviors and context and things like that. But I think these are uh, just some general things that, that people should keep in mind in all, circum all circumstances. You know, I, I think I have a book there right beside my recliner over here that I, I bought. It was on Clarence and Barn Noble uh, a year or so ago about how to be able to tell when somebody's lying. And I have never read it, but it's there by my, uh, there if I ever need a book to read. I'm normally reading all weekend long anyway. But is there, is there, Absolute. I mean, for instance, I don't know if you ever watched the old To Tell the Truth, uh, when they go down and you know, number one, what's your name, please? And can you tell uh, if people, when they say something and their eyes shift over while they're saying it, whether it's, you know, what's the biggest telltale sign if somebody is not telling a complete uh, line of truth? So that is a good question, and I think one of the um, probably one of the most important things to take away from nonverbal communication and in life itself. And just to start off with that, um, most people are not very good at um, de uh, determining with accuracy deception of other people, and trained people who are like FBI agent informants, um, interrogators in the military, police officers, um, they're only about 60% accuracy. Those are the people who have not read this book. I'm just kidding. That's that just a joke. <laughs> I've thrown out. So as you can see, 
how difficult it is even with trained professionals. So I have a few uh, general guidelines and principles to keep in mind that I think if you put these pieces together, you should um, achieve much higher than what the professionals are of 60%. And uh, the first one is, and this is biological. There's one caveat, I'll throw this out there, that it's very difficult to get uh, participants to participate in a study. Therefore, it's hard to get a large number. So this is, you could take this pretty much as an absolute truth for right-handed people. Um, that's because that's what they've studied. The majority of the people are right-handed. So probably it applies to left-handed people as well, but they just don't have the uh, large enough sample size to say. But those people who... Well, when someone's uh, uh, telling, recalling something and they're uh, talking about a particular topic, if they look to the left and again, you know, for right handed people put that caveat in, then that's usually the truth. And if they look to the right, that's usually something that they're imagining or it's, it's something that they're trying to um, create that didn't happen itself. So looking to the left. It's usually a strong indicator that someone's being truthful. And then uh, someone looking to the right is usually something that they're trying to imagine or something that they're trying to uh, fabricate that didn't uh, happen. Just on that note, I'll just throw this out there before I get into a few other principles is how much detail do they actually put in? And especially sensory de uh, detail. If they leave out a bunch of sensory details because they didn't experience it. They didn't experience uh, what, uh, the colors of what they saw in the environment, what things looked like, uh, what things sounded like, what things smelled like, what things taste like. So if they leave that out, and even if you ask questions, sensory information, and they're very uh, vague about it, that could be another indicator. Um, another one is that they tend to uh, furrow or lower their eyebrows when they uh, respond as well, and that could be an indicator of deception. One of the biggest things that you want to keep in mind, again, what we talked about with one of our principles is baseline. And that's one of the things that you talked about. So you want to talk about some normal average uh, conversation with them at the beginning. And how do they normally communicate about truthfulness, the weather, sports, um, what's a popular topic of the day, um, who Taylor Swift is dating and which football player, you know, get some uh, average response from them and then go into what you want to find out specifically whether or not they're being deceptive and see if they communicate differently than how they normally communicate with what is average information that they're being truthful about. What is something that's interesting, and this is uh, pretty well established in the communication research, is that uh, when someone's being deceptive, they usually use simpler behaviors, so not nearly as many nonverbal behaviors, and it's much more repetitive. So why is that? That's because it takes a lot of cognitive effort to think about what is not truthful that you're trying to portray as being truthful and also do nonverbal behaviors at the same time that look spontaneous and genuine. So they're going to do fewer behaviors and it's going to be the same ones over and over because they just don't have enough mental energy to think about that and to keep track of what their lie is as well. Also, what we talked about with our uh, uh, principles is it's less spontaneous. So the responses are usually less, uh, less spontaneous, is less natural. And what happens uh, um, usually takes more time. So you have more vocal fillers. Uh, they pause much more so. And it takes them more time to recall what they just said and what they're about to say that never happened. And on that note, one thing that you may want to do, people usually rehearse deception in order. 
So just a scenario, there's a couple and one person of the couple, they, uh, they go out for the evening. The, uh, the other person's suspicious. So the person says they went out to, uh, they met with friends, went out to eat and then saw a movie. So if you ask and people usually recall their deception in order. So if you ask them to start in the middle, they met with friends, but you ask them what they went, where did everybody eat? Who showed up when? What was the restaurant? What did everybody order? Um, how did it taste? So you get in the sensory information, you start in the middle, and then you go back to the beginning. It's very difficult to go out of order from what their lie was of who met at what time, when, and then go to the end of what movie did you see, this, that, and the other. The last thing is um, there's actually a much more accurate human uh, detector out there. And it's called uh, female. Females are much more accurate with uh, detecting deception than what males are from an early age. And we could go into more detail into that later, but these are some uh, general principles to keep in mind that I think should ratchet up the accuracy much higher than 60%. That's amazing because that's exactly where I want to go on the other side of this commercial break that we're going to take right now is I want to talk about the difference between men and women. And I was fascinated with the one graphic that you have the color. <laughs> you know, I love I love the color purple, but I never thought of it being violet, lavender, and all these other ones that, that women, when they think of the color purple, they go through all these different colors. I just like purple. And just that one graphic was like, I, I've, I studied that for I don't know how long. It's like, this is fascinating. And we're going to talk about more of the difference and how can we maybe better communicate with the opposite sex, with our spouses, with our our friends, with our coworkers that are the opposite sex. And I'm really interested in also them having that extra layer of sensitivity. Um, And then I'm going to talk about the importance of just the eyes. And we're going to do all that on the other side of this commercial break, 888-627-6008. We'll be right back in about uh, 102 seconds. We'll be right back. From HCI Publishing. That brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years if you're looking for that book that you can't put down then pick up a copy of shattered by the darkness by dr gregory williams at all barnes and noble stores amazon and books a million now back to breaking the silence with dr gregory williams Welcome back, 888-627-6008. We have our guest tonight of the book, Nonverbal Epiphany, Steps to Improve Your Nonverbal Communication. 
and uh, you want to get on Amazon tonight and type in Dr. Stephen. I'm going to spell the last name F-U-R-L-I-C-H, and you're going to find a, a couple books on there. Uh, Doctor, how many books have you written? Uh, just those two. Those two. But the first one was like, wow. I mean, it really took off by storm, right? Yes. Uh, so the first book is it's called Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. And I just try to be a bit uh, humorous and uh, play on words. So how your biological sex influences your gender communication. So I just uh, try to go through how um, brain structural differences that now science can actually analyze a human brain and with over 90% accuracy predict if it's male or female. So how those differences influence communication differences and then sex hormones as well. We're actually prior to birth, sex hormones uh, can predict your social behaviors later in life as well. So um, with males having 20 times more testosterone than females and females having 20 times more estrogen as males, how that plays into it and plays into this book as well, Nonverbal Epiphany, because what's been found is that estrogen actually helps uh, social ability, understanding other people. And then testosterone has been found to actually hinder social ability in the way we understand other people as well, which makes sense since uh, testosterone is uh, highly associated with aggression and individualistic behaviors and things like that. For nonverbal communication between genders um, varies extremely, correct? Yeah. So what has been found for uh, years and decades consistently in the research is that uh, females from an early age, um, they have more interest in social interactions so they look at faces as a baby much more so, whereas boys look at objects much more so. And then throughout life, um, they have more interest in, and there's just not much of a comparison that females are just so much more um, socially more aware and more equipped biologically that they're just superior non-verbally from an early age to understand other people, to empathize with them. And then also... Um, uh, to communicate their nonverbal behaviors much better than what males can as well. And I could go on some of the biological reasons if, if you want. Oh, sure. Because this okay. fascinates me because I think anytime you're in a relationship, husband or wife, and, you know, we if we ever doubt our wife's uh, mm-hmm. uh, judgment, you need mm-hmm. to remember who she married. Uh, because that, <laughs> you don't want to ever do that. I think it's just good wisdom even to bring them in, especially mm-hmm. when you're making uh deals with them, arrangements with people, uh, to have that other opinion that could have more knowledge than what we could ever grasp, I think it's just good wisdom. I think that's why maybe uh, the, the the maker, the divine creator, did that to allow them to complete us. Uh, but yeah, let's get some principles on the difference between uh, male and female and it's not communicate, not verbal. Yeah, just like you said, I, I think there is a uh, biological complementary aspect to it. You know, males overall generally are a little bit better in some areas and females are better generally overall in other areas. And this happens to be one of those areas that females consistently are better than what males are. And this is one of the things that have uh, one of the things that have aggravated me over the years and why I wrote this book um, in academia. 
is that it's been found consistently that females are superior with nonverbal communication. And then academia always tries to explain in a way as social learning that the way that you're brought up or the family or society, and that's 100%, there's no other possible explanation out there, and that's just not true. The evidence out there uh, suggests otherwise, and, and that's what I'll get into now. So one of the things that uh, was really eye-opening to me, and as far as I'm concerned, what I'm about to say, this science is already settled, that the connections, the brain connections are different between males and females. So for females, they have many more, many more connections across both hemispheres. And that's pretty much settled as far as I'm concerned. And males, we have more con uh, connections within each hemisphere. So what that does is having for females having connections across both hemispheres, many more of those, it allows her to engage in the conversation at hand while at the same time uh, analyze your nonverbal behaviors. Whereas with us males, we're, we're much more compartmentalized where we have connections within each hemisphere and we could do one or the other, but expecting us to do both at the same time really uh, is expecting too much from us. Um, also, uh, females, they tend to have overall uh, more white uh, brain matter. And what that does, it, it allows more communication to the different areas of the brain. So for her having more connections across both hemispheres, um, having more white matter that helps it communicate the different areas much more so. So maybe it's a language with the emotion, with the memory all together. And also um, having... Uh, um, uh, more uh, senses. Her, her sensory um, ability is superior. All five senses are have been found consistently to be superior as well. So with uh, smell is more sensitive, touch is more sensitive, uh, taste, um, what she hears. And with hearing ability, it's highly correlated with estrogen. So what's that do biologically? So when at her peak uh, time in her life of reproduction, her estrogen is highest. And that's when you need to be able to hear the different nuances of the baby itself to understand what's the baby's needs. And then when her uh, reproduction uh, likelihood uh, decreases, such a menopause, that's when estrogen starts to decrease as well. So it's not nearly as important to have that uh, hearing ability as what she did when she had that uh, newborn uh, of what the baby needs. Uh, a few other things during social interactions, um, uh, she has more mirror neurons that are activated during social interactions. So what the mirror neurons do is you look at someone else's nonverbal behaviors, then your mirror neurons, they activate and prepares your body to display the same nonverbal behaviors that you see someone else display. So she has more mirror neurons and she has uh, more gray matter in the mirror neuron areas. It helps her not only uh, uh, activate her uh, mirror neurons, it helps her process that information and it helps her body prepare to display the nonverbal behaviors that she sees someone else display much better than what males do. So it helps with empathy. You actually experience a more similar type of emotion as the other person because your body is going through the same types of experience as the other person. So if you have a similar emotional experience, then you um, understand and empathize with the other person much more so as well. Something else that's uh, been found consistently during social interactions with uh, females, they have much higher, this again, they have more interest in social interactions, human, you know, uh, social interactions. They have higher levels of oxytocin during those social interactions. That's that bonding chemical. 
So they feel more of a connection, more of a relation to the other person. So if you feel a connection to the other person, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to empathize and understand the other person much more so and, and understand uh, um, emotionally where the other person is coming from. They also have more overall brain activation during social interactions. So not only more connections to the different areas, not only do they communicate better with the different areas with the white matter, but the overall more of the uh, of her brain is activated during social interactions, which helps her again uh, take in sensory information, process it, while at the same time engage in the conversation with language, while at the same time tie in uh, past memories as well, all at the same time. Um, just some uh, hard evidence, if you're not convinced yet, that uh, females are superior with nonverbal communication. They did a study, and they showed uh, numerous pictures of only the eyes of people, of those pictures, to both males and females. And there's not much of a comparison. Females outperform dramatically what males did of labeling the emotional state of the other person just by looking at a picture of their eyes alone. So they could take in much more information with less and process it with less information than what males are able to. Um, another thing that they uh, found as well is through touch. They had a curtain set up. They had uh, people reach their hand across the curtain and touch the hand of the other person. And females, again, outperform what was the emotional state of the other person, much more so than what males, again, just from touch alone. One of the things that is and we could get into relationships in, in a second, but a, a, a pretty strong indicator, a barometer, if you will, of relationship quality. And then as you go to holiday parties, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, whatever else, look around at the couples and see who's on a good emotional state of each other. <clears throat> positive nonverbal behaviors that mimic each other is a good indicator of a positive relationship. So if each person um, in a relationship are exhibiting similar positive nonverbal behaviors, that's a good indicator that that uh, relationship is going well. Something that's a cautionary tale for take for whatever it's worth, whoever it may be useful for. It's been found that there is a negative correlation between uh, mimicry of a person with another person who's not your romantic partner and love for your romantic partner. So person A is in a relationship with person B and person A mimics the uh, behaviors to a high degree of person C, then that's an indicator that the love for their person B that they're in the relationship with is much lower than if they don't mimic the behaviors of person C that they're not in a relationship with to a much lower level. That's an indicator. And um, you talked about this, and we could talk more about it in a second, that color vision. So color vision, part of it is on an X chromosome. And with females having two X chromosomes and uh, males only having one, you can see how they have superior color vision. And they can see much more uh, on the uh, spectrum, different shades where we see maybe a few colors. And they can see variations of those different colors. And then also they have more P cells in the retina as well. And that's um, highly uh, related to detail and color as well. Um, lastly, when it comes to vision, there is a um, saying out there, um, slogan, whatever it is, um, uh, in the animal kingdom, uh, those that like to hunt, um, their eyes are in front. And those that like to hide, their eyes are on the side. 
And that uh, holds true for males and females of humans. So like the hunt, eyes are in front. Uh, males have much more of um, a vision that's straight ahead. And females are much more comfortable and much more better at peripheral vision to the side. So oftentimes you would see females much more comfortable talking to a male uh, at their side. And uh, us males, we tend to like to face someone straight ahead because that's what our um, strength is when it comes to vision as well. Wow, there, there's a lot of information there. And what what do you, if you was giving advice to a young uh, married uh, man that was just getting ready to uh, marry his his young bride, uh, hey, when you get into this relationship, this is what you need to make sure you're aware of. What I know the principles were great. What some of the things that really we the men just absolutely miss when it comes to communicating with uh, the opposite sex. So I guess just to start out with um, somewhat of a humorous anecdote I put in my book um, that the best style that a man can use is chose by a woman because they're much superior when it comes to color and detail and things like that. Uh, with my first book, I have a chapter that I think is pretty um, informative with that in terms of uh, early relationship types of things. And it's called uh, She Demands and He Withdraws. And that's a conflict uh, type of dynamic that is commonplace in most relationships where the woman demands more from the relationship and the man uh, feels that uh, he's not being valued and that she's personally attacking him um so he withdraws even more so so you probably saw this play out and everyone else has in the popular media and various types of situations uh, if you go back to the johnny depp and amber heard trial um there are specific examples she even has a recording that came out in the court every time we have some sort of conflict johnny you just get up and leave there was that birthday incident where she had uh, her friends at the home. He comes in, he didn't like something, so he just leaves and sleeps somewhere else. But what happens with that dynamic is that she needs to understand that um, we're not as equipped to self-disclose and bring in and tie in emotion with past memories and the current topic all at once, again, because we have a much more compartmentalized brain and and because testosterone hinders language ability. So we're just not as equipped to express our emotions at the same level as what females do. So sh she's highly invested, invested in the relationship emotionally because they have more uh, brain activation in the emotional areas uh, of the brain um, during social interactions, females do just one study out there, um, they had subliminal negative faces and they found out much more brain activation for females when they looked at a negative face that they weren't even aware of that they were looking at than what males do. So at a subconscious level, it's not social learning. And then um, what she, what uh, he needs to understand is that um, when she talks about certain issues, the task at hand, but then she also brings in what happened in the past and she ties in emotion. She's not off topic. That, that's what makes sense to her, tying all things to all those things together. And she's not just personally attacking you, but you should appreciate what she's uh, bringing together because she's trying to better the relationship that us males tend to overlook. 
So one some of the things that can be done with that is uh, they found out that touch prior to conflict leads to more positive types of outcomes for that conflict itself. So maybe holding hands or embracing each other or arm around each other, that that tends to uh, uh, increase the oxytocin levels between both people. And the oxytocin levels helps each person, uh, that bonding chemical, empathize with the other person and it helps to build that relationship. So touch prior to conflict. And then also uh, one of the things that I talked about previously is mimic behaviors. So having similar positive nonverbal behaviors that are similar to each other, um, that also increases the oxytocin level for each person, that, that bonding chemical, but it also activates similar areas of the brain, which makes sense. You're um, exhibiting similar areas. In order to do so, you need to activate similar areas of the brain. So then again, you empathize with the other person and you take on the emotion of the other person much better. So she demands, he withdraws is a conflict that um, I think a lot of people should be aware of um, when they see it. And recognize that both people, what he does is his contribution um, to the relationship. And she needs to recognize that. And what uh, she uh, uh, exhibits um, emotionally is how she contributes to it as well. Um, a few things um, that um, in a relationship you should probably be uh, aware of. That nonverbally with mimicry, it's much easier for her to adjust her behaviors to his than it is for him to adjust his to hers. So again, we just don't pick up the nonverbal behaviors nearly as well, us males. So it's much easier for her to pick up on it and adjust hers to his to make that uh, uh, united type of uh, relationship with them. Um, also, uh, the relationship stages themselves, what, uh, what science has found, the different stages that it goes through is that females usually initiate interest with a subtle nonverbal indicator, standing closer, fixing their hair, longer periods of eye contact. And then after that, they expect the male to pick up on it and take the lead from that, escalate the relationship from there, um, taking the lead as the man and taking the next steps forward. That if he doesn't recognize those uh, subtle nonverbal behaviors, then she often gets frustrated and feels that she's not being valued in it. Um, and one of the things that you talk about with therapy and stuff like that, that it's it's important for uh, couples to mimic each other's nonverbal behaviors in couples therapy and not to mimic the therapist's nonverbal behaviors. If you see that one person's mimicking the nonverbal behaviors of the therapist and not the couple, uh, you got a long ways to go. But if you're starting to progress and mimic each other's behaviors, that's a good one. And then just lastly, um, one of the things that you talked about earlier on your show, uh, if uh, a child is being interrogated during, let's say, there's some sort of um, um, investigation going on, um, a criminal investigation, the nonverbal behaviors of the interrogator can actually influence the answers that the child will give. So if the nonverbal behaviors of the interrogator um, encourages the response, the child's going to give that response. If it discourages the response, then it's going. Uh, it's not going to give that response. Unbelievable! I tell you what, we are completely out of time. I, I have yes. thoroughly, Doctor, enjoyed this. I, I didn't even get to any of my questions, hard lad. Let me have you <laughs> back on. Uh, I want to reread the book. Um, I and I wanted to get to the eyes, and we just don't have time tonight. But I tell you what, I I need to. Uh, 
work on some things in me personally as a man <laughs> you know on the same level uh because we just sometimes miss the boat and and uh, completely miss the target and and it's not deliberate uh and thank you for allowing that wisdom to come across that scientifically we just don't have everything it takes to keep up with them uh but uh, i i appreciate the information that this was fascinating fascinating non-verbal epiphany you want to get this book and i promise it's going to just uh, make your life better thank you doctor for being with us thanks dr williams and just one last final thought maybe yes uh, on that gender note um just is just my opinion so take it for what's worth i think sometimes it's uh males we oversimplify things and sometimes females they more they may overanalyze or overcomplicate things and we need to empathize understand the other person's perspective that she reads in the subtleties and we take things literally. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being with us. And I promise you, uh, I'll be back in touch to have you back on because I want to finish the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. As we always do, and happy Thanksgiving to you also. Uh, As we close every show out each week, and I tell you what, this is not, this is one of money back guarantee books. You're, You're going to want to get this. Uh, and I promise you, it's going to maybe even make your relationships better and more understanding and uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, and I'm so glad we had the guest on tonight. Thank you. Uh, as we do each week, we always want to let you know that no matter what happens this week, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, no matter what you're going through right now, I just want to let you know there's always hope. There's always hope. If you just don't have the communication act together. If you're just disconnected from all realms, this type of book, this kind of wisdom will maybe open your eyes to be able to learn how to understand, learn how to communicate, learn how to process this in a different way. And men, stop being so hard-headed, doggone it, and be a little more loving and understanding. But I always want to let you know, there's hope. Join us right here next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence from Houston, Texas. God bless. Have an awesome Thanksgiving week. And don't forget to love on your family and tell them how much you appreciate them. Good night. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.